I want to begin um, uh, by saying a huge thank you. Um, you know me, I am a, I'm a very, phys I like images, I like the things that we see. <laughs> and my talks are full of pictures. And the images that I'm using today mostly come from ones that have been sent to me by you guys through the Facebook group this week. And it's been really, really exciting because it feels like even in our isolation, like all of these amazing music videos that we've been watching where so many different individuals come together and, and sing as one, it, it has been such a blessing to me to use you so that I can feel like we're doing this um, together. Um, just to say, I am always on the lookout for anything creative that can point us towards God. So please, anyone, feel free to share anything with me at any point. I would love to create a huge bank of photographs, of drawings, paintings, sculpture, needlework, photographs of anything that we can use to point to God. God in us and through us and with us, all around us all of the time, from the microscopic to the universal. God is in us all and through us all, all the time. And it's good to open our eyes and see and remember it, to look at our holiday photos and see God, to look at art and see God, because he's all around us all the time. And so we begin with Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord almighty, he is the King of glory. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For the past year or so, I've had a phrase running around in my head. It's the phrase, you are, therefore I am. In the long distant past, long, long distant past, I did a degree in art and aesthetics, which translates to painting. 40% of my time was devoted to philosophy, looking at how other people viewed the world and how that affects things, how that has affected art through the years. Now, I know this subject would not fascinate you, but philosophy has affected your life more than you think. 
A guy called Descartes came up with a way of thinking in the 1650s that changed the way we see things even today. That way of thinking is distilled down into the phrase, I think, therefore I am. And this and many other ways of things, thinking and doing things became the beginning of our self-centered world where everything, even existence itself, became entirely based on the individual and on the individual's mind. In the modern culture, it's the idea behind the matrix and many other films and books. It's a way of thinking that divides. It divides your mind from the physical world in which you live, your soul from your body, and it starts to look at the world as full of objects that need to be analyzed, classified and controlled. And it puts me, the individual, in the driving seat of everything. This thought pattern has influenced Western thinking ever since. This way of thinking throws away faith and trust and it makes life about control, not about experience. And it isolates us from God, from others and from the natural world. As Christians, we're still under its influence. We make leaps into faith and trust, and then doubt and uncertainties creep back in. What if none of this is real? What if I'm making it all up? What if the voice I think is God is actually me? God can't be real or good, or he wouldn't leave me in this situation. I can't feel him love me. I don't really know his presence. Am I making it all up? If you've ever had any of those doubts, you're not alone. School teaches us to analyze, to dissect, and we're told that we are the authors of our own destinies. When we give our lives to Jesus, we turn our back on a way of thinking that is completely hardwired into us, and it's difficult. As people living in the West in the 21st century, we have so many blessings, so many of our needs are fulfilled, and yet some of our advances have driven a wedge between us and God. I'm not going to pronounce this right, but in parts of Africa, there's a word, Ubuntu, I think that's how you pronounce it, but it means we are. It's a phrase that uh, means there is no such thing as I am or it is. We are a web of relationships, not just with other people, but with all of existence, animals, the earth, everything's interlinked and totally connected. And that is the truth, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We flow with his life. Colossians 1 tells us, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So we can say to God, you are, therefore I am. Whether we recognise it or not, we are all children of God, made in his image. God has breathed his life into us and we've been set free to begin to see ourselves others and the world in a different way. But that change of perspective begins with us putting God back in his rightful place, being the Lord over all and through all. 
and by understanding that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He created it and established it. We tend, he creates. And that also we are his. He is, therefore, we are. There are times when we need to refocus and regroup in life. This time, in the middle of a pandemic, difficult time, and it makes us feel uncertain and like things don't always make sense. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Elijah, a prophet from the Old Testament, and see if there are any things from his life that can help us understand what God might say to us today. God, God chose Elijah. He was an amazing man of God, a major prophet of his time. The Bible tells us about his life and what he did in 1 Kings chapters 17 to 22 and 2 Kings chapters 1 to 2. We're going to watch a short video because there's quite a lot to his life and it's going to give you a little flavour of who we're talking about. God's story, Elijah. So part of God's story is about a guy named Elijah and it goes like this. Elijah's job was to talk to God and tell God's special family, the Israelites, what God said. So he was called a prophet. Unfortunately, the rulers of Israel were King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. They were the most wicked leaders Israel had ever had, and they didn't care what God had to say. They made Elijah's job really hard, but just wait until you see what God did for him. See, Ahab and Jezebel worshiped Baal instead of God. Baal was a false god, an idol. Kids, an idol is anything that gets the attention we should be giving God. Money, stuff, or even people can be idols. And when Ahab and Jezebel worshiped Baal, they turned a lot of God's family away from God too. But here's the thing, God wants all of our worship and love, and he totally deserves it. So God sent Elijah to tell Ahab and Jezebel that it wasn't gonna rain for a while. There wouldn't even be dew. That means crops wouldn't grow. So the Israelites would run out of food. Then they would think Baal was angry and they'd blame Ahab. When the king heard Elijah's message, he was furious. He wanted to kill Elijah. So God told Elijah to go hide in the wilderness. And just like he had said, there was no rain. In fact, for three more years, it was dry. But Ahab and Jezebel kept right on worshiping Baal and asking him for rain. Of course, that didn't work. So they stayed mad at Elijah too. They actually killed as many of God's prophets as they could find. But all that time, God kept Elijah safe. And Elijah kept telling people to believe in the real God. A few did. Like a widow who saw God do miracles through Elijah. But most kept worshiping Baal with Ahab and Jezebel. Finally, in the third year of drought, God told Elijah to go talk to Ahab again. This time, Elijah challenged the king to a contest that would show who was real, Baal or God. Ahab brought 450 prophets of Baal to meet Elijah at a place called Mount Carmel. They built an altar to worship Baal, and Elijah built an altar to worship God. They both prayed for fire and then waited to see whose God brought it first. And since Baal was a false god, you can probably guess who won. Yep, God. In fact, he sent so much fire, it burned up Elijah's altar and everything around it. After that, Elijah prayed for rain, and God sent it. It seems like maybe Ahab and Jezebel would follow God after that, right? But they only got more angry. Jezebel sent Elijah a message 
that she was going to kill him. So Elijah ran away again, this time because he was scared. Even though God had kept him safe for years, he wanted to quit being a prophet. He didn't think anybody listened to him anyway. He laid under a tree and said, I've had enough, Lord. Then he went to sleep. God must have understood how Elijah felt, because guess what he did? First, he sent an angel to cook Elijah some bread. Then God let Elijah see him. Elijah talked to God a lot, but he'd never seen him. While Elijah was waiting for God, he saw a windstorm, then an earthquake, then a fire pass him by. But God wasn't in any of those. Then he heard a gentle whisper. There was God. Elijah had spent his life obeying God, even though people wanted to kill him for it. But guess what? Ahab and Jezebel never could kill Elijah. Actually, Elijah didn't die, not even of old age. Instead, God sent a chariot of fire, and Elijah rode it right up to heaven. We don't know exactly how that happened, but it did. God didn't make Elijah's job easier, but he did take care of him. And in the end, Elijah got to be with his God, the real God, in heaven. And that's the story of Elijah. I'm going to read um, a passage to you from Elijah's story. It comes from 1 Kings 19. It says, Elijah was afraid and, it, and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The video shows us Elijah was a man who'd been fearless and full of courage. He saw God do amazing things. He saw God send fire from heaven, a huge burning fire that left all watching completely sure that God was the one true God and turns the people back. So why was Elijah now afraid? What had happened? I think maybe he was pretty traumatized by what had just happened. Elijah had stood on a hill and watched the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, whip and beat themselves, urging their false god that was made of stone to set fire to their altar. Elijah watched and waited. There was a terrible scene in front of him, and all he could do was hope that God would pull through. And God did, no question. But the toll that put on Elijah must have been immense. Elijah was human and fragile and frail as we all can be. And it's quite normal to experience traumatic stress during or following a disturbing event, whether it's a coronavirus pandemic, traffic accident, violent crime, terrorist attack, natural disaster like an earthquake, or watching people beat themselves half to death for no good reason. 
You may feel intense shock, confusion and fear or feel numb or overwhelmed by a host of conflicting emotions, sometimes all at once. I wonder how many of these feelings Elijah felt. And we need to know for us at this time that these emotions aren't limited to the people who experience the event too. Round the clock news and social media coverage means that we are all bombarded with horrific images of tragedy, suffering and loss with words that tell us what is happening but what's not happening, things that are missing, things that we miss when they occur in our country and everywhere around the world. Repeated exposure to this kind of stuff, nervous system, anxiety, stress, just as if you've experienced the event firsthand. This kind of stress can shatter your sense of security, leaving you helpless and vulnerable in a dangerous world, especially if Jezebel is now hunting you. You may feel physically and emotionally drained, overcome with grief, or find it difficult to focus, sleep, or control your temper. These are normal responses to abnormal events. Elijah trusted God. He had faith God came through, but it left him shattered, devastated, afraid, and alone. So God came to him in his need. He said, rest, eat, sleep, and then he urged him on. God took him on a journey, a journey he was not capable of making on his own. And he took him to a safe place in a cave far away from it all. When we're at the end of our rope, maybe this is what we need too. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Ebel Mehol-el, ah, possibly, to succeed you as prophet. God said to Elijah, go stand on the mountain. Go stand on the mountain. Elijah hid in a cave. God said, go stand on a mountain. Elijah hid in a cave. And God still came. God was good to his word, even when Elijah was hiding from the world and from God. We need to know that how we feel or behave does not affect the goodness of God or how much he loves us. Or the fact that he wants to talk with us in our place of pain, whatever that is.
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The fire, the wind, the earthquake, but God comes to us, to you and me in a whisper. The voice is not a voice that will force itself on us. The voice is a voice of love. And love does not push or pull. Love is sensitive and kind. The voice can be very quiet. It's sometimes hard to hear. But the voice of love is already in you. You may have heard it many times before, or this may be new to you. But God wants to speak with you now. Here, while you're at the end of your rope, in your stress, your anxiety and confusion in the silence and in the storm. So let's quieten ourselves and spend some time trying to hear it. Listen, it says, I love you. You are my God, therefore I am. It's a phrase of refocus. You are my God, therefore I am. It's also a phrase of surrender. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and he comes to us in a gentle whisper. I love this picture. <laughs> you may have no idea why I've used it. Um, this is the old cattle market in Yeovil. It was shut a number of years ago and then they moved it to a more suitable location. It's a very man-made place, very business-like. It's all metal and concrete, or it was, but now nature is reclaiming it. As God is reclaiming us, as we look to God, surrender to his majesty and listen for his gentle whisper, we are transformed. Elijah was very human and suffered the way we do. If you are struggling right now, that's okay. We're all human. It's a very strange, stressful, traumatic time. If you'd like prayer this morning, there will be prayer at the end of the service. If you email in Yeovil CC, we can set up some prayer for you. You'll be invited into a Zoom call and then taken into a small room with one or two others who will pray for you. It's like prayer at church, just done in a very strange and technological kind of way. When you're at the end of your rope, there's more room for God and his kingdom rule. He wants you to come to him and he wants to come to you, to tend to your needs, to whisper words of love and life to you. As I finish in a couple of moments, I want to pray and then leave a few moments of quiet for us all to listen. A moment of still for him to speak to us all. And then Julie's going to lead us in worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For you founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Help us, Lord, to see that you are, therefore I am. Help us to see your bigness and your majesty and surrender to your gentle whisper, knowing that we are safe in your hands. Tend to our needs, I pray. Feed us, help us rest. Lead us on and speak into our lives that we might be transformed. Where we doubt, give us faith. Where we are stressed, give us your peace that transcends all understanding. 
where we feel alone, fill us with your love. Where we feel so tired that we cannot carry on, give us strength. We are yours. Come tend to us, feed us, help us to sleep. Lead us on, for we want to see you and hear your voice. Amen. Let's spend a moment of quiet and then Julie will lead us in worship.